0: It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories.
1: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. It's a blessing to have you with us here today. My name is Julian Gibb, and you're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. And today we're blessed to have Dan and Teresa. Dan and Teresa are from uh, an organization named Action, and they are based in South Sudan in Africa. So Dan, Teresa, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Julian. It's great to be here. And it's actually a cross. who we're with.
1: What did I say? Action. <laughs> well, there we go. Ac- well,
2: we are
3: we are we are definitely in action.
2: We're so. definitely people of action. Have, have but you working thought, across.
1: <laughs> have you thought of changing your name? Anyway, we'll we'll move on. We'll yeah. work on that. <laughs> well, this good is a good op- good opportunity for a plug. What's your web address?
2: Oh, yeah. Across hyphen ssd.org. And that SSD is very important. That's the three letter abbreviation for the country of South Sudan.
1: South it's Sudan.
2: R-O-S-S dash o-r-g.
1: Well, great. So when you're packed with action at Across, what is it that you guys, what is it that you guys are doing?
2: Yeah, well, for me, we, we serve in different roles for across we are what's called seconded missionaries. I know most people don't even know that terminology, but basically it's like the um, the what do you call that, like the manpower of the mission world? You know, it's the we're the we're on loan to an organization, but we are traditional missionaries and we have been assigned to work at a South Sudanese led organization. Called across, and for me, I work with the administration, the leadership team, uh, to uh, help develop a ministry model that will be impactful and build the capacity of the local church and bring hope and empowerment and transformation to communities across South Sudan.
3: And there's an aspect of it where you're you're actually working to transform the staff to more closely match the um core values and the missional purpose of the cross as um, in the area of strategic and myself um, I focus on a combination of of imparting a Christian worldview through the training that I do and through the mentoring I do and then that being the foundation for development work I'm going to add but I try to reach across different disciplines whatever can bring um a self-support uh initiative to people that are um uh very highly uh dependent or entitled because of the activities of aid charity and and non-governmental organizations um addressing the uh, extreme needs here humanitarian needs um, the needs are, are are so complex and so um, extensive here in South Sudan, possibly more so than any other country in the world. So the focus really is on how do we work our way out of the humanitarian side to where we're, we're, we're causing the um, development side to swallow up and re- completely displace the relief side, and this is something that a lot of organizations don't even plan for in the in the inception. And they get and they get um, to a point where they find themselves in their engagement with communities and with the people they work with, and, uh, trapped in in dependency and entitlements because it's not planned out in, event, in, in advance. How to get that proper transition in place, and then how do we motivate people by the by fulfillment of the Great Commission, even the poorest, the poor, imparting a vision for participation in giving of themselves sacrificially toward the Great Commission and the gifting and the talents and skills that they have.
1: So so let, let me unpack a few of those bits. You know, let let's put this down to a level that that even I can understand. So you, you spoke about relief and development. Uh, So there are two different things. Explain that to me.
2: Well, let me start. And so in a relief environment, this is supposed to be a relief response. It's a short-term intervention to an immediate crisis. That's what it's designed to be. That's your food distribution in a case of famine. That's your um, bringing in mosquito nets in, in flooded environments to prevent malaria you know, those types of humanitarian interventions that happen at points of crisis. But in a place like South Sudan, they've been in long-term crisis. It's the second longest running civil war in modern history. And so war creates poverty and crisis. And so when you have long-term crisis, you would then have people from all over the world responding in a long-term humanitarian relief intervention. But the challenge is is that when you are now generationally being supported off from handouts, you begin to think that you cannot do anything for yourself. And so to transition people to that development stage where they begin to take what they have, no matter how small it is, and they say, where can we go from here? And so what the work that Dan does is to, to say, okay, we've been in this crisis mode for a long time now, it's no longer short term crisis. So we have to take where we are, and begin to move forward. We can't wait to get back to where we used to be. Before we begin to move forward, we need to start from the reality of the current context. And and it, it's really a different approach to the humanitarian situation.
3: It's basically, the community engaging and challenging itself toward a vision of what their community could look like the potential of their community if they were to um, steward the local resources be they natural resources and then spiritual resources and human resources justice resources all those things together in balance those when they're stewarded with excellence can tra- change the trajectory of of a community a people group a nation and a family yeah, yeah. So, at any level
1: so you so the 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 country as you saying has been in uh civil war the, the longest second longest civil war in, in, in the century and uh so they've been in a case of, of survival and so relief comes in you know people need to eat you know uh immediately you know uh every day uh and so but what what you're focusing in now is well what about what about the future you know what about um uh aiding these people to be self-sufficient to utilize their own their own skills and resources whether they there's not uh, a huge amount of resources or, or not you know and so what 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 sort of uh how, how do you do that you know how, how does the rubber hit the road how how do you uh, aid these people in becoming self-sufficient
2: it really starts with what we call a visioning uh, visioning um oh, what do you call it program where you actually ask them the question what would you prefer your future to look like or do you remember a time when you're when you lived in a in a way that's more like what you want to live yeah. so you you begin them thinking about a preferred future hmm. and then you ask the question what do you have at hand and everyone has something even a refugee in a refugee settlement has something they have their hands they have their family they have their mind and God has equipped each and every person with gifts and skills and talents and a purpose. But when you are in that environment where people are giving to you all the time, you begin to think, I'm too poor, I'm too downtrodden, I'm too worthless to contribute anything. And so it really begins with that inspiration that they are image bearers of the one true God created for a purpose.
1: And and so, on top, go, go ahead
3: on top of that it's that focus on what do we already have that will move us along the path toward that preferred vision what what do we have at hand that we can steward with excellence that we can add value to to that'll that'll start to move us in the direction of that preferred future And that is where we're in that discovery phase with them, is where they're envisioning their preferred future. And we also um, tend not to ask the questions, what do you need, as if we can supply uh, all the things that they need. Because the, the normal humanitarian response is to see a need and then say, oh, we've got the money to supply that. We can make it transactional we can help help these people maybe from a distance just by giving them things. And this is not necessarily what people need. They need to be um, relationally empowered to solve their own problems and and restore dignity and hope. This is what Teresa was talking about a moment ago, is that lack of dignity and hope, that that fatalism that is set in, that, that their situation is inescapable. And that is not the case with the immense resources here in South Sudan. If stewarded with, with excellence, um, development can even occur rapidly and movement away from, from that um, loss of hope to human flourishing, peace and, and, and prosperity could come, could come quickly. Um, and this is what we've seen in revival periods in, in around the world. And then the Reformation; those those transitions actually came fairly quickly, um, and and so we don't need to kid ourselves that the development goes slowly, slowly, as if it's it's a natural process. Um, it's not a natural process. It takes excellence in in stewardship.
1: I could so, so explain
2: better with a story, maybe.
1: You- yeah, no, no, absolutely, because the things that are coming through my mind are. Uh, one, please do, do, you know, give us stories. I'll come back to this. Give us, yeah. give us stories here. Well, so how, cause it, it's, a, it's, a, it, it, it sounds great. I'm kind of like, Ooh, you know. Uh, yeah. How
2: do you do that? It, I, I mean, it's yeah. such a huge thing to try and answer um, this situation, but when it comes down to people, real people and real situations. So I was asked to do a training for a group of 50 women and I did it in two settings. They came from um, three different communities, but two of them came together. These uh, women wanted to be trained in business. I'll tell you, the women here are entrepreneurial go-getters. They just don't know where to start. And so they asked that I would come and train these women who wanted to start a a business as a group because no one of them had the resources to start a business by themselves. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to form groups and start a business together. And so they asked me to train them in marketing, supply chain, accounting and, and help them come up with a business model. Okay. Here's the catch. Not one woman among them could read. Hmm. Now, South Sudan, it has uh, one of the world's lowest literacy rates, especially when it comes for women. So I've been asked to do a training on business marketing and accounting for women, and none of them can even read, let alone do math, (laughs) you know? So, okay. But you know what I spent the majority of my time on? Because actually they had a lot of sense about how commodities were bought and sold. They knew a lot about that because they live in the real world, right? They, and they go to the market and they know about buying 50 kg of something and then selling it one kg at a time and making a little bit of profit. And, um, but the biggest thing that they needed help with was on overcoming obstacles and barriers. Because when you are in such a reduced state, as soon as something goes wrong, The first response is, well, we tried, it didn't work, we give Uh, up. See, you know, everyone was right, I couldn't do it on my own. And I I think a lot of us can relate to that. Maybe we've been at a point in our life where we tried something, it didn't work, and you have that little voice in your head that says, see, told you, you couldn't do it. You know, so they needed the encouragement. And that's something that happens oftentimes in small group settings or one on one that's really what Dan and I do. We mentor and disciple and encourage people to move forward and fulfill their hopes and dreams.
3: And we've, we've had tremendous success with um, starting savings groups, which often can lead to cooperatives. And so we've we've seen them rapidly start putting money aside. And because the local culture is has this... Um, Uh, demand-shame aspect to it where if someone gets a little bit ahead or they have money or they have assets, someone can come along and say, well, we need those worse than you do, so you're required to give those to us. And so the savings groups are just phenomenal because they help the individual have a protection for um, the money that they're saving so it can be properly allocated to the, the things that we'll um, reinvest in that will um, launch them further along versus, versus individually saving. And then people see, oh, um, you, don't need, you don't need that, what you've saved, so uh, you, better give, you better give it, give it to us. Huh. And the group then protects that, the savings of the group
1: and so so uh you know some, you just give us some some examples of how uh you have been aiding the people not aiding uh, encouraging equipping giving uh, uh showing the people in south sudan how they themselves can pull themselves out of of need and so give you know let me, let me put the question back to you guys i mean first of all south sudan is a beautiful country with wonderful people and great opportunity, but it's also uh, economically a very needy country. You know, there are there are many great needs. Uh, you guys now, as we speak, are without electricity. You know, uh, and uh, it's just it's just a country that 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 needs uh, needs help. And so you, you've been you've been saying that uh, you know you can come with a checkbook and you can write a check, but where's the where's the long term benefit for these people, you know? And so you, you you've been aiding them, and so t- tell us some more stories about you know you've you've you, you shared about how you're teaching um, these ladies or, or giving them the ability to use their entrepreneurial skills, and you've spoken about how you. You're having uh, people put their money into these sort of uh, uh, savings accounts. So give, give us some more examples.
2: Well, I want to take you back to that same group of ladies that I taught about business skills because something incredible happened. First of all, I learned a lot during that. Now, I during my school years, I studied about best teaching practices for oral traditional people. So having a group of women that didn't read or write, I thought... I was prepared for that, (laughs) but I learned so much from that teaching that I have a lot more to learn because it's not only about literacy. Um, A person who is an oral traditional, comes from an oral traditional culture, thinks differently from a person that comes from a more textual culture. They process information differently and they problem solve differently. But to go back to that group of women, when you begin inspiring someone to think outside of themselves and to think about how they can move forward, they naturally begin to not only think about themselves in that poor me, pitiful me type of situation, they begin to think about other people. And at the end of the workshop, at the end of the workshop that I taught these ladies, they were sharing their gratitude to me for coming in and teaching. And this woman who had been sitting on the front row, she said to me, I want you to take the same teaching across the land to the other people. And she's referring to another tribal group that's traditionally their enemy. Oh. And the reason why this people group is their enemy is because um, it's very common for, these, for criminals among these groups to go back and forth and they steal cows from each other, but also they, they tend to abduct children. because children are very, very important in this culture, expanding your family rapidly. And there's a lot of reasons around that. We won't get into that right now. But this woman, her children had been abducted when they were very young. And um, it had been a number of years and she had no more children because her husband had died. So she's now a widow and her only two children had been abducted and taken away. And remember, children are very important in this culture. And she said, I want you to take this training across to the other people, because somewhere there is a woman who's taking care of my children. And if she can learn how to provide a better life for these kids, if she can learn how to start a business, my children will eat. And that to me was just incredible. She somehow, to me, that's a God thing to not be so angry, but to mother's love that thought about her children before she thought about revenge, before she thought about justice or anything else. And that is a transformational moment for me. I learn as much as I teach in this environment, really.
3: I've got one more story to add to that real quick here, too, um, because that is just an incredible story. And And I was presenting um, a lot about savings um, and how the answer to a lot of problems was coming out of of savings and I kept pointing back to okay if you need this you have to save and and so when we got to the end of the training they were appreciating me and one of the ladies she took off her head scarf off of her head and her head was 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 bald and she said you know if I had practiced what I learned today my child would still be alive today and she said she said, I spent all of my money on Christmas gifts for my children. Then my daughter got sick. I didn't, couldn't pay the doctor's bill, and my daughter died. And so the um, tradition
2: here is to shave your head. as the sign of mourning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she was demonstrating that to the group. Yeah. It was so fresh and so raw. And, and to think about the fact that she even came to a training like that when she was in the midst of her grief.
1: So how, how do you guys, first of all, you're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we're blessed to have Dan and Teresa from ACROSS organization. And the, the web address again is?
2: ACROSS-SSD.org We've
1: just been hearing these stories, which I, I have to say, my, my, my stomach, my gut hurts hearing um the, the some of the stories you've been saying about how people are truly loving their enemies those who have i can't can barely say it those who have stolen their children and yet and yet <clears throat> there's this desire not to give up but to seek to aid these other people that have done this horrible thing i, I can barely it doesn't seem right in even saying it but uh but but you, you're really seeing Jesus. At work in South Sudan, so give us give us some more examples of, of of what you've seen.
2: You know the the thing is is when you're in a context like this, the problems are so huge. We we're talking about you know war for decades and famine and drought and floods and locust invasion and that's just the last year you know and the rain on the road roads and,
3: things. and
2: yeah economic crisis and political instability and all of these things that go along with it and it can be overwhelming and we're just two people and you know what julian we're just two normal people now really we are just two normal people who okay we made an extraordinary decision to move here but So we did. But the fact is, is we can't do anything about locusts and wars and, and flooding and drought. But God has called us to look at the person who's directly in front of us today, right now. And I would say that that's true, no matter where you live. And so whether it's a woman who can't read who wants to start a business, or whether it's a woman who's lost all of her children, or who's I say women a lot because I deal with a lot of women, and women here are very vulnerable, highly marginalized, you know, many, many widows in this culture because of long-term war. But we're not called to stop the war and the flooding and the famine and the drought. We're called to listen to the person who's directly in front of us, to open our heart for a moment and listen to the Holy Spirit too, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in that person's life. And the big, big surprise that comes through is when that person ends up being the hands and feet of Jesus in your life. And in my life. And it's just such a humble blessing to live this extraordinary lifestyle. But I think it's available to anyone, no matter where they are, if they just do what's right in front of them.
1: Well, there there you hit. So we have 30 seconds left. And so, sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt. But uh, we've been listening to uh, Dan and Teresa uh, from an organization named Action, and they're in South Sudan. And they said... Across. Across. There we go. There we go. Well, uh, anyway, I'll try and dig my way out of that. But seriously, just for a second, it's the thing about just focusing on the person in front of you, loving them as Jesus is calling you to love them, the person in front of you. So, Dan and Teresa from across, thank you very much for your time. May may God bless you. Jesus
0: defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.